Okay, we're in this study that is about, um, really about the people of God. It's called Grace in Community. What happens when the gospel comes among a group of people and they come to live based on the gospel? That's what this whole little letter, only three chapters, is about. And so today we sort of get to like the heart of it, and next week we're going to see the engine for this grace, okay, or, or how we live this out. Now we begin sort of thinking maybe a little abstractly, like how do systems work, right? How do ecosystems work? I remember when I was a kid, my mom had me and my brothers make a big jar terrarium. And we were fascinated that you could put dirt and living plants and some moss and some moisture inside a jar and put the lid on and crank it down. And like two years later, the plants stuck inside that jar would be thriving. The moss would be healthy. Here was this closed system. That's the way an ecosystem works. And the thing we're learning is this, and sort of begin thinking about this, is that even small changes in a little ecosystem like that can have immensely powerful effects across that system, right? That they're, un uh, uh, they're unintended consequences that come from changing an ecosystem. I remember learning about this some time ago, and probably one of the best examples of this, if you're from Australia or New Zealand, likely you know about this place called Macquarie Island. It's a great case study. Um, it is a UNESCO site. It is the only place on earth where one kind of penguin, the royal penguin, happens to nest, and you'll see zillions of them on the island. There are almost a million mating pairs and, and very sensitive bird species. They nest there. It's like this an amazingly beautiful place. I'm way in the South Pacific. And an interesting thing, in the 1700s, whalers and those who derived oil from whales and penguins settled on this island when they arrived in their ship, unbeknownst to them, some rats from their ship got onto that island. And introducing a rat on that island that just proliferated, you can imagine that the nests of the birds and where the penguins were, I mean, they were in trouble because of the rats. And also, those first people who came, they brought rabbits for food. And so rats and, and rabbits began to just pro pro proliferate on this island, destroying so much of the island. So they got this bright idea in the 1800s, we have rats, so we need cats. I'm not making this up. I wish I were. So they brought a bunch of cats. And can you imagine what happened? Man, they chased down those rats and they killed most of the rats. And there were over 100,000 rabbits when they started. And they got down the rabbit population to be a lot smaller. But then they had a problem. Once all of the rats were gone and they didn't have that many rabbits left, the cats needed something to eat. And it just so happens that cats also like baby bird chicks. That is a problem, right? And so now, by introducing the cats, they had this huge crisis on the island with these baby birds. What were they going to do? So they had this really bright idea. They had all of these rabbits and all of these cats. And so they decided they would disperse a deadly virus on fleas that would carry from rabbit to rabbit and wipe out all of the rabbits. 
But it didn't kill all of the rabbits, and the cats were still around. So finally they got serious with a full arsenal of poison and hunting dogs and guns, and they finally wiped them all out. Whoa, in 2014, they declared a victory. None of those mammals that were introduced were on the island. However, now on the island, it's being taken over by invasive weeds that have overgrown the areas where those little baby birds are, put, are living in their nests. You see, it turns out that the rabbits were helping to keep down the weeds. And now they're still in crisis on this island. What are they going to do? And you begin to see the danger of playing with a living ecosystem. But do we see that the same thing is true for human ecosystems? Do we realize that the way God designed human beings to live in community is also fine-tuned and, and little changes you make to that ecosystem can have unintended consequences. For example, we created a nice little handheld device that allows us to stay in touch with each other. But the result is that we're actually now far less present with each other. And studies show as a result there are now unprecedented degrees of loneliness and depression. And the social fabric of our communities is actually unraveling. And our resi resiliency, I don't know if you know about that, the resiliency of us has plummeted these unintended consequences. Just like that beautiful island, we find ourselves, okay, what can we do to restore this ecosystem? How can we make it thrive? How can we make human beings flourish in this ecosystem? And literally, that's what Jesus came to our planet, why God came into our world. He told his followers, I've come that they could have life and to have it in all its fullness to the full. And that's why this letter has been written to Paul, to a church planter named Titus, to teach about this life. How is this ecosystem meant to work. Would you pray together with me? Father, we really do need to know. We, we believe that with a little bit of social change and engineering, that we can live better lives. Maybe we can live longer lives. That we can heal our communities. But Lord, it seems like the more we tinker with life, the farther afield we feel like we become. And so I pray, Lord, that you will lead us into your truth, that you will form us, help us to be a people, a community of people found together in Jesus. And we thank you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now the way the New Testament begins sort of like in a teaching about a community and people is this, this is the Apostle Peter. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So in this world of fractured relationship in Christ, God called the people and said, look, you're, you're going to live as my people. You're going to come to understand what it means to be treasured by me and to have a place in, the, in this economy of a community that is thriving. And so he says, look, if you're in Christ, if you've come to faith in Christ, you're already a part of this people. You're already a part of this community formed around Jesus. It's, it's a done deal. But the problem is we may not know, well, how's that community to work? And what is it to look like? And it had me asking, well, well, how do I know if I'm living in a community like that? 
If the, I'm living in this ecosystem of Jesus, well, I think here's some ways you could know. First, there are people that really know you. You don't have to pretend with these people. You don't have to filter your conversation for fear of being rejected because you've all been accepted through Christ. Actually, these people may come to know you even better than you know yourself. You have conflicts, of course, but because of the resources of Jesus, you know how to forgive each other and you keep walking together. I remember when Sandy and I, we were planting a church and we gathered just a few families in a home to talk about what do you want the church to be like? There, there wasn't a church in their community. We were forming one. And one of the people said, well, we want to fight with each other. And we're like, what? And they said, no, but, but we want to be able to forgive each other and continue to walk together after we do. Because see, every community they'd been in, when people would disagree, boom, they're gone. When, when there's some kind of a problem, then the people leave. It was just easier to do that. But what if you lived in a community that because of Jesus, people sought forgiveness and they were able to continue walking with each other if, even when they have struggled like that? Or it's a community like this. If we're missing from the party, someone goes in search of you to make sure you're invited in. It's a, it's a place where love isn't just an idea, it's an action. It's a place where we're welcome, not because we're perfect, but based upon God's love for us. And I think all of us need that community. This is what God created us for, where we're meant to thrive. I remember two years ago, my my dad died, and it was a brother in Christ who called me on the phone. He knew that I needed to drive up to Vero Beach where my dad was living, about a two and a half hour drive away. And he took the day off work. He drove me up there himself just so we could collect my dad's furniture. And then he waited patiently at the funeral home while I went inside and made sure all the arrangements were made. But even more, he told me how he processed the death of his own father. You see, I was being sustained at one of the most painful times for me by spiritual friendship, by the power of loving community. And this is what the fabric of spiritual community looks like. And, and so imagine a little child growing up from day one and, and being a part of such a community where they're being loved and, and nurtured in God. Recently, I saw this wonderful story from CNN of a five-year-old boy named Ma Michael. He, he had been in foster care since he was a baby. And his parents, you can see them there with the judge, oh, this was the day he was adopted. Now, his kindergarten class found out about this, and all the kindergartners showed up for the court proceedings. It was awesome looking in the court and seeing all of these kids, and the judge even went around to them. It was really cool, and said, hey, what do you, ask them what they thought of Michael. He's my best friend. I love him. And it makes you wonder, what would our lives, what would a community be like if it was nurtured in the love of Christ? This is why at Granada you will hear us say, hey, hey, come and walk with me. Life happens here in this community that we're called to in Christ. So you say, well, what is it like? What does this community look like? And what is my part in the community? That's what I want to look at with you today, this ecosystem of grace. Now, as we open this little book, we have been learning about how the Apostle Paul left this guy named Titus on the island of Crete, that's the largest of the Greek islands, to form a church from a very small group of believers that were there. 
And, and, and last week, we saw that Paul began with leadership. He said, look, we need elders in every town where they're believers to gather everyone, support everyone, nurture everyone, shepherd everyone, and they're to live by example. They're, they're to live before the people and lead them. And then he says this to Titus. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, the word doctrine seems strange, but it literally is the word teaching, like teach sound teaching. And what is he talking about? Well, it means Titus is not to make it up as he goes along and just to tell him whatever he thinks about community. He is sharing the truth that comes from God. In other words, Titus is not the authority in the church. Jesus was and he still is today. And so leaders today are simply called to carry out the teaching and commands of Jesus. And this is also true here at Granada. There are no church bosses. I am one of the elders here at Granada. There are about 20 elders, seven of which are pastors like me. I'm not in charge, and that's because Jesus is. And we always need to remember that. And so Titus here, he has the challenge of sharing with the people the word of Christ. He's not saying, hey, come and follow me. He's saying, no, this is the, the calling of Christ. This is not our opinions, but God's word. And so this is why in our worship services, they're always centered around the scriptures, God's word for us. His word of love where he shares with us the message of his grace. And he lays out, because of that, the pattern of community. And so here is how that community is to work. It's, it's ordered by God through his word. This is why we're always teaching, learning, and growing. The pattern for our life and living in community, it comes from God. I didn't make this stuff up, okay? We say that scripture is the only rule for faith and practice. In other words, it tells us how we should believe and then it tells us how we live this out in our day-to-day -day life. And this is why we have Bible studies. This is why we have Granada U classes, right? It's like this, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so we're gonna encourage you to, to read scripture, to learn what God tells us. And by the way, in front of you in the pew is a black pew Bible. And if you don't have one of your own, I just say, take it home. You can tell people you stole it from Granada when you were here, okay, at one of our worship services. We love to give them away. Take it home and read the book of Titus that we're studying right now. And so this is the way you say, well, what does it mean? Well, we want scripture to become the vocabulary of your heart and of your life. And what this means is that when you're hurting, you look to scripture. When you have questions, you search the scripture. When you feel lost or need wisdom, you turn to scripture. You see, Paul tells Titus, he's like, immerse people in this. Get the people to know the word. In the grace of Jesus, this also means preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Of just reminding yourself, hey, I'm, I'm one of the people of God. I'm loved by God. God has redeemed me in Christ. I belong to him. And so this, this is where the framework for our community, it's given in the word. And let me tell you, one of the most shocking scenes in the Old Testament as when a boy, his name is Josiah, rises to become king. His dad dies when he's but a boy, and he's in the line of succession. 
And when he comes to be king, by the way, his dad has been one of the worst kings ever. And he has a heart for the Lord. His name is Josiah. And he sees how the temple has just become, it's almost falling down. It really needs to be renovated. People have wandered away from God and haven't really cared about the temple. And so he orders the renovation of the temple. And when they're renovating the temple one day, they're sort of in one of the back rooms, they come across some scrolls. And they open up the scrolls and they start reading and they're like, Oh my goodness, this is the word of God. This is the law. We didn't even know it was here. So many years had passed by that they didn't even realize they had the law of God. So, so they took it over to Josiah. And when they gave it to Josiah, he literally, he tore his clothes. He was so broken over the fact that they had had the word all along and they weren't listening to the word of God that he repented before God. And you know where that lost word was? It was in the temple. It was in the temple. You see, even in the church, the word of God can be lost. And it is what God gives us to teach us about life and how we're to live. So much time had passed that they had forgotten. And you see, I think we can do that today. We think we know, oh, this is how families work and communities work and life works. And we forget that God has laid that out for us. By the way, he doesn't say, if you do this, I'll love you. He says, I'm giving you this because I do love you. We can forget that. It falls into disuse. And in the process, we lose the key to life. And what I say is this. I think today we live in an era of what I would call historical snobbery. What that means is we think we know more than everybody who's lived before us. Right? We have so much more wisdom and insight into life. We think we can alter the ecosystem of our communities and our families without a downside. And it's true that in many cases we have more advanced technology. But look at human relations. They're just as broken as ever. We're as divided as we've ever been as human beings. We're desperately in need of someone to build community we need a word from God. And so thankfully, we have it. Take the book of Titus, read it yourself. Now here's what it says about that community. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Now this isn't some pie-in-the-sky stuff about heaven. It's about people living in your community who are an example. And he starts with the older men. And that's the second part. This truth comes from God, but we learn it in the context of our life with others in community. Here's Eugene Peterson. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. He says, you think you can do this yourself? He'd say, you're wrong. He says this, he says, I am not myself by myself. In other words, I need a community to have this way of life that God wants for me. And so Titus here is told, look, let's start with the older men. They have to put on Christ. They have to show forth the truth of the gospel. And the reason he says that is, and you'll hear this at Granada, is we say at Granada, people Learn the faith, life on life. Life on life. One life impacting another. Books are good, right? Technology is great. But learning happens when one life shapes and forms another life. 
So likely you don't see how your life is impacting the other people around you in spiritual community. Listen to Proverbs. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now it begins with the older men because in their community they're the most visible. You can see the outworking of the gospel. So if you're going to ask the question, okay, if I live this life, where is it going to lead? You look at the older people in your community, right? You want to say, what, where does this go if you've lived this out for a lifetime? What are the outcomes? Now, I, I had two male mentors when I was growing up. Neither of them were perfect. But let me tell you, I so much wanted to be like them. And the reason is because I could see their faithfulness, I could see their fruitfulness, I could see their love, I could see the devotion, I could see how their lives had, had given birth to all kinds of fruit. I could see their devotion to Christ. You see, they showed me the life as well as teaching me the faith. And this is what Paul says to Titus, your community will not go forward without this. Um, a, a few years ago, maybe you've heard about it, the Harvard Grant study actually came out. It's a great book on it. You'll see the cover of that book. Um, and, and what it did is this. It went to some Harvard students who graduated in the late 1930s and the early 1940s, and they said, okay, who have lived the best lives? What life created, what are the things that created the best outcomes for these students who were at Harvard? And literally, they tracked them for 90 years, and you can find the study in that book. And it's, it's fascinating. You think, well, how do I have that life? How's it going to happen for me? It's summed up here in only five words. Happiness is love, full stop. In other words, the people who did this study, who watched these students for decades, looked at them and said, those who had loving relationships, who were walking in community, close to people, they had by far, it isn't even a good comparison, the best lives. I mean, God like told us this a long time ago, you guys. This is the way it works, right? I love that picture, by the way, of the, the man and the woman who are dancing. But what this means for us is that life in the gospel is taught and caught to be in those relationships. It is the character of the older men and older women that Paul says are going to mean the most. That is what we want to see reproduced in the community. It provides life and stability to this economy of grace. You see, we see the older men and women living it. And listen to this, likewise teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now we think that faith in Jesus is about passing on knowledge, that's part of it, but it's really about transferring character qualities. It's about learning character. This is the learning of a way of life that leads to, again, that flourishing. So men, by the way, are to be sound in faith. They're to be stable and respectable and loving. And the older women are to be reverent, not heavy drinking. By the way, in the ancient world, drinking was a serious problem for older women. And the reason is because they were often alone. And it's a challenge for some older women today and also older men for the same reason. You see, the idea is to reflect the life and love of Christ in the community in such a way that it can be passed down to those who are younger. 
Uh, some years ago, I saw the TED broadcast. TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design. You can find them online and at YouTube. Of this guy, his name is Sugata Mitra, and he's an Indian educational researcher. And a couple of decades ago, he had this really great idea. He was like, okay, in the outback of India, where we don't have good schools, how can we train those kids? How can they learn? They don't have easy access to the same education as kids have in the city. So we got this great idea. The idea was to go to those remote places and to put a computer behind a wall where the kids could see the screen and it had a mouse or a joystick and they could sort of navigate the, the internet. They could learn whatever they wanted there. And it was amazing. I mean, he had 12-year-olds that learned particle physics and psychology and, and they also learned to speak in English. All of these amazing things. But here's, and by the way, they called it the hole in the wall because it sort of looks like a hole in the wall. But here's what they learned. At some point, all those kids sort of hit a wall. They're learning and learning and learning and then they just get to a place where they sort of stop. It's like they, they can't get past this place. And he started to ask, well, what's wrong? Why not? How can we help them? And what he discovered was they needed somebody giving them affirmation and encouraging them and sort of coaching them. He discovered that they needed a grandmother. Yeah, I'm not making that up. Why? Well, the children would hit that wall of learning and they'd get stuck. But if a grandmother was with them and looking over their shoulder and saying like, um, what does that mean? And, and, and what comes next? And and how do you think that works? Then they would search and they would answer and this interaction would take place. It made all the difference in the world. So he went in search of, I need more grandmothers, you guys. We need this. This is required. Coaching and affirmation and encouragement. And you see, Paul is saying this about the body of Christ. We need those older adults. We need grandmothers who will say, who will affirm our young people. Just like that woman. Do you know that? Man, I can't believe I'm married to a grandmother. That scares me. <laughs> but I am. <laughs> to show in their lives the character of Christ and what the gospel is all about. And listen to what they do. It says, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Here is that ecosystem. The younger women reflect the grace of Jesus. Then they encourage the younger women to remain faithful. Now, of course, in that day, pretty much every woman was going to marry. And by the way, there was no respectable way for a woman to work outside her home. So the context was different. That isn't true today. But the virtues of faithfulness to your husband, if you're married... And the calling to have and nurture children, well, it's, it's the same, isn't it? You see, the community will have no future without children. And if those children aren't cherished and brought up in the knowledge of Jesus. By the way, not every woman is going to marry today, but the pattern is always older to younger and investing in the youth, younger, older women to younger women. And then to children in this life of faithfulness. So the truth of it is this, the, the character of Christ gets passed down from generation to generation. By the way, women that do not have children become the spiritual mothers of every child in the, ch child in the church. Investing in them and loving them and nurturing them in their faith. And setting an example by their lives. 
Perhaps you don't see how critical older women are to the thriving of God's ecosystem. Let me tell you this, older women living by faith become the natural advisors of both women and men. I remember coming here to Granada as a young pastor. I often felt daunted by the challenges of ministry and needs of Granada, but every week on the front row, literally right here, was an elderly woman, her name was Yavane. You'll see a picture, she dressed to the nines, let me tell you. I mean, even the rims of her glasses matched her clothing every week. And you know what Yavane did? Almost every week she sent me a note. Almost every week she would write to me a note to encourage me. I called her my encourager in chief. They were filled with her joy being at Granada, they were encouraging of me as a man half her age. There were, by the way, there were older women that came to my office to voice their complaints. Some of their words bordered on being hurtful and even cruel. And in the middle of that, there were times when that older woman practically saved my ministry because she knew her calling was to build up and to encourage. And so the question is, how do you see your calling? If you're an older woman, um, this is the beauty of it. Listen to chapter two, verse six to eight. Similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Young men are not left out of this one of the most important books from last year is written by a guy named Richard Reeves. You'll see the cover. It's on boys and men. As I mentioned, it's important because it reveals the crisis that our young men are in. This is what he says. Two-thirds right now of the 10%, top 10% of high schoolers in America, they're all women. At the top 16 law schools in America, those who are the editors of a law journal, 100% of them are women. 65% of the students coming out of law school are women. Now, there are more women going to medical school than men. And by the way, this isn't to discourage women. I want to encourage all of you. But men are in a bad place. Right now, men between age 25 and 34, there are 10 million that are not working anywhere in the United States. 10 million Women's participation in college grew by 45%, where men's participation stayed the same or declined in most places. And the reason is men are floundering. And let me tell you why. They don't think they matter. They don't know what their mission is. They don't know that they're needed. And you see, our young men need spiritual mentoring. It's called discipleship, to see that they're important in the life of our community. Do you know that our community cannot do without young men who will commit to a woman and marry her, who will nurture her and their children if God grants them children. This is the future of the community God has called us to be, but they need older men and women to encourage them. By the way, Jesus took 12 men, most of them young, not all of them, so that he could nurture them for the purpose of the future of the church. And they could see in Jesus the love of God in living color. And this is the purpose that older men and women have in our community. Now, let me tell you, as I think about these instructions to learn from older men and women, this life that's being taught, 
everything in our culture pushes against. I got so discouraged reading this text because everything I hear every day tells me to live for myself. And the only way that this community works is we see ourselves called to be servants of each other. Seeing ourselves as not about the self and about me, but about what God is doing that is so much greater than I am. You see, it shows forth, this ecosystem shows forth the grace of Jesus. And by the way, it's gonna cost. The whole nature of the gospel has a cross in the middle. Jesus, in order to serve us and redeem us and create this community of love, he laid down his life for this purpose. So if you're an older man, it's gonna be a sacrifice for you to stand up and be willing to give time to younger men to walk with them, to show forth the community, the kind of sacrifice that comes from a lifetime working with Christ. By the way, if you're an older woman, it's also gonna be a cost for you to invest in the younger women and, and children of our community. Wow, if you're a younger woman in our culture, to sacrifice and say, I'm gonna love that man God has brought to be my husband. Or if I'm not married, I'm gonna see myself as a servant of all because I'm following Jesus. And for young men to do the same, you see, it could only come if we discover how we're loved in Christ. But I think when it does, it'll be a beautiful thing let me tell you right now, people do not have a good impression of Christians. They view us as self-righteous, judgmental, hypocritical, not loving people that differ from us. And let me tell you, often they're right. But what if instead they saw a beautiful community of people laying down their lives for each other in such a way that they could then see Jesus? What a powerful thing that would be. A little over a week ago, a tragedy stuck, struck our community. A young senior, a man, at, uh, a man and a senior at Westminster, you'll see his picture, Christopher Bobson died in a fatal motorcycle accident. The school was rocked by the loss. He was gracious and loved, a standout Christian young man. And Sandy and I had the privilege of going to the service, uh, celebrating his life on Monday we witness the power of the gospel in living community. By the way, his parents and his sister, I mean, that's one of the worst places two uh, human beings can find themselves in. One of the most painful moments we can know, but they were surrounded by loving support, clinging to Christ and surrounded by so many others. And then we heard from generational, right, teachers older than this young man who'd invested in him. We, we could see it right there. And you know, as we drove away, I told Sandy, you know, when I was a senior in high school, one of my classmates also died in a tragic accident right on 77th Avenue, not far from our high school. And there wasn't a community like this. There was not the loving support that surrounded his family. There was nothing like what I saw this past week. You see, here was a community woven together with the bonds of Christian love. And it made me ask, how, how can we be that community? And so that's the question. You know, God has already accomplished this. You're already a people and the people of God. But, but what is your part in living in this community of Christ? And do you see that you're an important part of this ecosystem? By the way, not just your family, but the community of Christ. And will you take one step in the direction of community? Maybe it's a community group. Maybe it's just talking to somebody after the service today to encourage them. But seeing yourself as a part of that fabric of community that Christ died to make possible.
Would you pray together with me? Lord, I have to be honest, when I read passages like this, I think, how is this gonna be? Lord, we're taught so much just to live for ourselves, not even to worry about other people or think about them at all. And here we see what the gospel is all about. You teach us how to love our neighbors. You, you draw us into a community of mutual support and encouragement and love. Lord, our world needs to see this. They need the kind of hope that comes from seeing a people who are living in this love that's given to them so freely and unconditionally in Christ. And so Lord, I pray that you'd make us a com this community. We know, Lord, there's so many weaknesses, there's so many needs, there's so much help we need. But we believe, Lord, if you've called us to this, you will also equip us for this. And so I pray that you would do that. Lord, I pray for those in our church today. Lord, I pray for the older men and older women. Help them to see their callings. I pray for the younger men and younger women. Lord, help them to know how to invest in, in loving relationships with each other and in the children in their homes or in our church. Lord, help us to be this people called by grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.